Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. We're continuing to work through this just marvelous uh, letter in the New Testament. And um, we've been looking at Romans 8 for a few weeks now. And this is uh, just an amazing chapter. Really the, the Mount Everest of the book of Romans, if not the, the New Testament. And, you know, it begins with no condemnation in Christ. If you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven, you're justified, never going to be condemned again. It ends with there's no way you could ever be separated from God's love in Christ. You know, these twin pillars or bookends uh, to the chapter. And then last week, you know, we saw in, in verse 17 that we are heirs with Christ. We're God's adopted sons and daughters. And, and one day we're going to share in Christ's glory. That's our future. And then Paul adds this little statement in verse 17 that that involves suffering with Christ in the present. And you think, oh, everything was going so well in Romans chapter 8, glory and security and confidence, and then this, suffering, suffering in the present. You know, Paul's realistic. You see, Paul knows that the glories of the gospel don't exempt us from suffering in this life. Um, you know, following Jesus is not like, uh, do you remember the game Monopoly? You have the get out of jail free card. That's, that's not what faith in Jesus does for us. It doesn't, um, you know, it's not like you give your life to Jesus and he's going to spare you from all pain. That's just not the way it is. Um, we follow a crucified Savior. He suffered. We will suffer. For him, the pattern was suffering, then glory. The pattern for us is going to be suffering and then glory. And the, the Bible's just honest about this, about this reality of, of suffering. It doesn't avoid the topic, you know, it, it, the Bible doesn't say, okay, here's a formula for you. If you just follow these steps, you can be spared from all pain and suffering. No, that's not what the Bible does. The Bible instead gives us resources for enduring suffering well. For enduring suffering well. And, and Paul's aim in this passage today that we're going to look at in Romans 8, uh, his aim is to help us suffer well. He gives us a a perspective on suffering. It begins with a, a, a way to, to think about your life and your suffering, uh, a way to view it, and how that's going to have a, a profound effect on how you experience your suffering. If, if we can make this perspective that we're going to look at, if we can make this perspective our own, if, it, if we can get it down inside of us and really adopt this way of thinking, it, we're going to be strengthened to endure suffering with hope, with hope. Now, I'd rather not suffer, and, and I think you're probably the same. I mean, nobody enjoys suffering, but it, but it is inevitable in this fallen world, and you can't escape suffering completely. I mean, we can do a lot here in 21st century Southern California to escape certain forms of suffering and to avoid that, but, but we can't escape it completely. And, and that being so... I want to suffer with hope. I want to endure with hope, don't you? And so let's listen to what Paul says here in, in our passage. How can we endure suffering with hope? 
Let me read Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, and then I'm going to read down to uh, all the way through verse 25. And that's page 944 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, With patience, let me pray for us. Our God, as we come before your word today, we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would rekindle hope that maybe has has faltered. We pray that you would strengthen our hope, our confidence, our trust, in your glorious promises in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How could we endure suffering with hope? There's three things I want you to see in the passage today. Three things. Number one, how to view your suffering. There's a perspective Paul gives us, a way of thinking about suffering. You can't endure with hope if you, think, if you have the wrong perspective on suffering. Number two, how you can know it's true. How can you know this perspective that Paul gives us on suffering is, is the right way to, to look at things? So how you can know it's true. And then third, how it shapes your life today. How this perspective on our suffering shapes how you and I live, how we experience life here and now. So how to view your suffering, how you can know it's true, and how it shapes your life today. First, how to view your suffering. Now realize the the dominant uh, perspective on suffering in our, in our secular culture, it, it goes something like this. There's no ultimate meaning in life. There, there's, there's no ultimate future, in fact. Um, there's no transcendent reality that, that's beyond what we can see in the here and now, experience in the here and now, and after you die, you rot. That's it. That's, that's what happens to all of us. That, that's the end of the story. And so suffering, in, in, in that way of thinking, suffering is pointless. There's no meaning to it. it. Suffering robs you of everything that makes for happiness. And this is, the, this is you know, the only life you have. And so avoid suffering at all costs because there's nothing else. Your only chance to be happy, your only hope is here and now making the best life possible. That's how most Americans think about suffering. That, that, that's how our culture thinks about suffering. Now, now Christianity wouldn't say suffering's good, not, not by a long shot, but, but Paul gives a different perspective on suffering here. Uh, we could say a Christian perspective on suffering, and, or maybe 
a, a slice of the Christian perspective on suffering because this passage doesn't say everything the Bible teaches about suffering. But, but what Paul says, verse 18, so important. So important. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, I consider. In other words, this isn't just some shallow perspective on suffering. You ever have people you know, just tell you, toughen up, it's not that bad, and, and they've never really suffered in their life, and you're thinking, what do you know about it? That, that's not this kind of thing. Paul's saying I, that I consider, I reckon, I calculate. This is how I've worked it out through deep reflection. And, and this is what he says. This is the perspective. Future glory outweighs present suffering. Future glory with Christ far outweighs present suffering with Christ. That's that's the perspective. What he's saying to us as as Christian men and women is your future, your ultimate future in Christ. So so not next week, keep that in mind. Not, Not next year, but your ultimate future in Christ is one of just unimaginable glory. How should we view our suffering? Paul says you you need to view it in light of the coming glory. You need to view your suffering in light of the coming glory. Take the long view. And that's hard to do, right? We're we're people who live in the present. It's hard to take that long view. But Paul says that, that future glory that is promised to you in Jesus Christ, it so far outshines any suffering you experience here in the present. And notice he says that he talks about the sufferings of this present time, this present time, or, or in other words, this present age. And you have to understand, Paul and all the biblical authors, they, they look at history and time from the perspective of two ages. There's the, the present age and, and the age to come. The present age is an age of suffering. The present age is a time in which we live in a world, a fallen world, a world marked by sin and death and suffering. That's that's this present time. The age to come, the, the future, is a time of glory. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of the restoration of this world and all things as God intended. No more sin, no more suffering, no more death. That's this present age, suffering. Future age, glory. And, and whether you're a Christian or not, in this present age, in this world in which we live, you suffer. I mean, there's just the suffering that's common to all people. You know, sickness and, and disease. Uh, loved ones die. Um, you know, you struggle to make ends meet. Um, there's just there's disappointment. There's unfulfilled dreams. And then on top of that, we as Christians, there's, there's suffering that's particular to being a Christian. Um, we're united to Christ, the crucified Savior, and we share in his sufferings. He was despised and rejected. We will be despised and rejected. He was misunderstood and mistreated. We will be misunderstood and mistreated. That is life in the present age. This, the suffering of this present time. But, Paul says, that suffering won't last. That suffering will come to an end. Suffering suffering in this present time that is not the final chapter in the story and he he talks about this this glory that will be revealed to us that our suffering present suffering will be eclipsed by the splendor of this future glory what what is this glory that will be revealed to us well elsewhere the bible says it's indescribable 
And then here I am trying to describe it to you. <laughs> this glory is so amazing, so astounding, so wonderful, we can't even really imagine what it's like. And then I have to tell you, try to tell you what it's like. Um, what I can tell you, it will be revealed to us, Paul says. We will see it with our own eyes. And, but the idea is not simply that we're spectators, you know, just, just watching like a, a movie or something like that. Um, have any of you watched the U.S. Open um, in recent weeks? I, I'm not a huge tennis fan, but it's been really amazing to watch these players on the court, especially um, Coco Goff. You know, just an amazing tennis player. It's so fun, so exciting watching her just dominate on the court. And, and what Paul's saying here about this glory is, you know, this coming glory, we're not going to be the spectators in the stands. We're not going to be the people in the stands watching Coco Gauff uh, dominate on the court. We're going to be Coco Gauff dominating on the court. We're going to be these amazing tennis players full of glory, uh, brilliant with, with God's beauty and, and holiness. We're going to be the players. We're, we're participants in this glory. And Paul's going to say more about this later in the passage, but it, it, it's about entering the fullness of our sonship in Christ. Um, resurrected bodies in a renewed and restored earth, just glory. And Paul says that future glory that's promised, that's coming, that's guaranteed, that future glory outweighs present suffering. Now, I know some of you might hear that and think that that just kind of trivializes, it sounds like it's trivializing my suffering. I mean, my suffering's hard. You, you don't know what I've been through. It's, it's not easy. It's unpleasant. It's horrible. And, and Paul is not saying your suffering's no big deal. I mean, Paul himself was no stranger to suffering, right? We heard a little bit about that in the scripture reading, the kinds of things he went through. I mean, this man suffered. This man ultimately was murdered for his faith in Christ. This guy knows what it is to suffer. And later he says, we, we groan as we suffer. There, there's no minimizing here. Paul's not saying that. Paul knows, the reason he brings this out is he knows something about us and how we as human beings, how we as Christians process suffering. And here's what it is. How you experience suffering now, in the present, how you experience suffering now is determined by what you believe about your future. How you experience suffering now is determined by what you believe about your future. And uh, Tim Keller has a, a just an, a wonderful illustration about this, so I'm just going to borrow, a.k.a. steal, um, from him. You know, you, you take two people and you put them each in a room by themselves and the rooms are identical. There's nothing different about the rooms. They're the same. And, and you give each of these people work to do, just tedious, monotonous, um, really boring work, labor. Um, you know, you tell them, you know, for 10 hours a day, seven days a week, you just have to assemble these silly widgets, just this, you know, really mindless work. And you tell the first person at the end of a year, you're going to get $10,000. And you tell the second person at the end of a year, you're going to get $200 million. Now, these two people in identical circumstances, they are going to experience their circumstances differently, right? I mean, the $10,000 person is going to say, this work is so incredibly boring. I'm losing my mind. I can't take it anymore. I give up. I quit. 
the $200 million person is going to say, yeah, it's really boring, it's hard, it's tedious, but, but there is something wonderful in store at the end, and, and I'm going to press on, I'm going to keep working, I'm going to push through. You see, same circumstances, different experiences. What you believe about your future shapes how you experience you're suffering now. And, and look, if there is no ultimate future, if all, you know, you die and you rot and you cease to exist and that's it, if that's your future, suffering indeed is meaningless and terrible and, and avoided at all costs. And, and if that's your perspective on suffering, it's going to eat you alive. Life in this world is going to chew you up. It'll turn you into a hopeless, cynical, angry shell of a person. But if you know there's something wonderful in store, something at the end of this this difficult road of suffering, if you know that, doesn't mean the suffering's easy, doesn't mean the suffering's no big deal, but this perspective, future glory with Christ, far outweighs present suffering with Christ. That perspective will strengthen you. That perspective will um, give you hope. That, that perspective will help you to keep going. And so how to view your suffering as a Christian? What's the perspective Paul gives here? He says, know that your, your future glory in Christ far outweighs your present suffering. Know that, believe it, get it down into your soul, let it shape your life so that you can endure with hope. And you might hear all that and you think, well, that, that sounds wonderful, but how do I know it's true? How do I know it's just it's not just some other you know um, positive thinking type thing? How do I know? How do I know? Well, let's look at what Paul says. How you can know it's true? And his answer here, Paul's answer in this passage is really surprising. I, I think he goes a direction that most of us would not expect him to go. Um, he points to creation. Verses 19 to 22, he points to creation. He says, you can know how unimaginably glorious this future is because creation can't wait for you to experience it. Creation is so excited about your future that it's just, it's, it's, it, it can't contain itself. Do you see that word for at the beginning of verse 19? Um, Paul says, you know, future glory far outweighs present suffering for or because of creation's longing. Creation's longing. I'm convinced this is true because all of creation, meaning um, all of non-human creation, what we would call nature, all of nature, the the oak trees, the rocks, the scrub jays, the lions, the plants, they're, they're longing for that day when you experience this future glory. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Even the mountains and the trees know something about this future glory um, in in their own way. Not that rocks have consciousness or anything like that. but, But even nature looks forward to your future in Christ. And look at the language. Paul says is is waiting with eager longing. That's the language of anticipation, expectation, um, just excitement about your future. Uh, A number of years ago, I was walking down a street in New York City, and I I think it was near Times Square. I'm walking down the street, and 
And up ahead, traffic was stopped. No cars were moving. Um, the street is filled with, with a crowd of people. And then the sidewalks, too, just filled with people. There's lots of noise, lots of excitement, um, people pushing forward, trying to see what's up ahead. And, and I asked a woman who was standing there, what's going on? You know, um, and, and she said, she told me that Michael Jackson was scheduled to make an appearance outside of one of the buildings up ahead. And so all these people, apparently his limo was stopped and all these people knew he was in the limo and they're all there. They're, they're crowding around, pushing, shoving, standing on tiptoe. They want to get a glimpse of Michael Jackson. And, and at one point someone shouted, I see a white glove and, and people just kind of lost it. And I thought, I don't want to get trampled. I, I don't really care about Michael Jackson. <laughs> um, and I didn't get a glimpse of Michael Jackson, but, but that's the picture. Your future is so amazing, so astounding, it's as if the whole creation is, is standing on tiptoe, holding its breath, waiting to get a glimpse of your future glory in Christ. Paul calls it the, the revealing of the sons of God. We're, we're already God's children in Christ. We're adopted. We belong to God. That's, that's legally we've been adopted. But in the future, God's going to show the whole world who we really are. In a sense, our identity as God's children is, is hidden right now. Nobody looks at you and thinks, wow, such a glorious child of God. Um, but one day, God is going to put you on display with his son, Jesus Christ, for all the world to say, see. And he's going to say, these are my kids. And they're so amazing, aren't they? I mean, just look at them radiating my glory and beauty. Now, that's the future. Why, why does creation long for you to enter into your, your glorious future? Well, well, Paul explains here in verses 20 and, and following that humanity's story, our story as human beings, is, is tied to creation's story. Creation and humanity's stories are linked. Look at what he says in verse 20, that creation was subjected to futility. And, and Paul's retelling the, the story of Genesis 1 through 3. You remember that story. God creates this world of beauty and splendor, teeming with life, um, puts human beings in the garden to be his stewards over his creation, and then Adam and Eve rebel against God. And they sin. And, and Adam's sin has this ripple effect throughout the creation. It sends shockwaves out into the universe of, of death and decay. And, and in some mysterious way, even nature suffers the effects of, of Adam's sin. Paul says God subjected creation to futility. Um, in the sen- futility in the sense of creation right now it cannot fulfill its purpose. It is, it is prevented by human sin from reaching its full potential. He says in verse 21 that, that creation is locked into bondage to corruption. And, and you know this, the natural world is just it's full of death and decay. Um, yes, there's life and beauty and splendor even in this sin-cursed world, but, but everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. You know, second, second law of thermodynamics, entropy. The, the universe is just, you know, moving toward disorder. Everything wears out and, and dies. You and I wear out and are, are like those wind-up clocks. You know, not the ones with the constant electrical supply, but the, the wind-up clock. And there's only so many ticks, and, and they're winding down. Everything wears out. Everything falls apart. Bondage to corruption. Verse 22, Paul says the whole creation, all the different parts, 
are groaning together under the weight of this bondage, groaning in agony together in, in the pains of, of labor. And, and some of you um, are going to know in a few months what that means after you have your first child. And this passage will resonate with you a lot more. Um, but, but Paul says, in the midst of this groaning, there's hope. The, the groaning is mingled with hope. Look at what he says, 21-22. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Right now, things are not the way they're supposed to be. This world is not the way God intended. But God has not given up on his creation. God has not given up. He's, he's going to restore this, this physical earth. He's going to renew it. He's going to, to make all things new. At, at the resurrection from the dead, at the, the end of history as we know it, when, when God floods our lives with resurrection, life, and glory, the whole created order will be set free. I mean, as beautiful as this world is now under, under the curse, it is just going to be stunning one day when resurrection life covers this earth. Uh, he's going to glorify the creation along with us, along with Christ, and, and all creation will finally fulfill its purpose. The glory of the Lord will, will cover this earth as the, as the waters cover the sea. And so this perspective on your suffering, that, that future glory outweighs present suffering, how can you know it's true? Paul says because creation is, is longing for it. Creation knows something that, that we often forget, that glory is awaiting us. That's Paul's answer. All creation is on tiptoe, um, waiting for you and it to be filled with resurrection glory. Our story and creation stories are, are linked. And so, look, your story now, this present suffering story, the, the, the difficult story we, we live out right now, it's part of a bigger story. It's a part of God's bigger story, God's future, God's purpose for this world and, and really the whole universe. And the Bible invites us to live in this big story. We, you know, in suffering, it's easy to become just kind of tunnel vision and, and focus on the pain. And, but the Bible invites us to live in this big story with this big perspective about this glorious future. We need to, to see the, the pain of the present through the lens of the glory of the future. Suffering is not the final chapter. That's not how the, the story ends if you're in Christ. Friends, it won't always be like this. The, the pain, the suffering, the disappointment of the present, it will not always be like this. You know, it's so normal for us. It's so common. We can be, begin to think, well, that's all this is ever going to be. That's all life will ever be. It won't always be this way. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. Um, but I can tell you, it won't always be this way. I mean, wholeness will replace brokenness. Life will swallow up death and joy will eclipse pain. That's the reality. Everything sad will become untrue. 
Um, everything will be put right. The, the mountains are going to sing. The, the trees are going to clap their hands. And we're going to be right there in the middle of it all with Christ in glory in resurrection life. I mean, that's what's coming, friends. That's what's coming. And so Paul, you know, he shows us here how to view our suffering. And he shows us why we can know it's true because creation's longing for that future. But, but third, how does this perspective shape your life today? You know, that's the future. How does it affect you right here, right now? Um, three words, three words, groaning, hoping, waiting. The, this perspective on, on the future, that future glory outweighs present suffering, it leads to groaning, it leads to hoping, and it leads to waiting. First, groaning. Uh, Paul transitions from creation's groaning to our groaning as believers. Look at verse 23. He says, and not only the creation, the creation's not the only one groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans and, and we groan also. We, we groan because of present suffering. We, we groan because of remaining sin. We groan because of just weakness and frailty and disappointment. And notice Paul says that this groaning, we, we groan inwardly. It, it's like we can't even bring ourselves to verbalize these, these deep, deep sorrows, these groans. They're just inarticulate sounds. And, and you know how it is, those, those aches just deep down in, in your soul. I mean, it, it's one thing you know, you hit your thumb with a hammer and you, you groan and the pain lingers for a little while. But, but these groanings, they just, you know, it's deep, deep sorrow and pain. And, it, and you know how it is whenever you get a fresh, re, fresh reminder of the world's brokenness, of your own brokenness, your family's brokenness, and you just groan. Um, I, I looked at the news yesterday late in the afternoon and, and right there on the on the page was just these pictures of, of destruction in Morocco, this this earthquake that happened over the weekend. And, and I just groaned watching these videos of people trying to run and not get, you know, just crushed by debris. In the in this present age of suffering we, we groan. What is making you groan today? You know, what, what pain do you feel just deep down? And, and you can't even bring yourself to talk about it. It's just a, it's just a groan. You know, maybe a, a broken relationship. Maybe it's a, a broken body, failing body, um, a job that, that leaves you exhausted and discouraged. The Bible says that groaning over sin and brokenness, it's right and good. Groaning over sin and brokenness is right and good. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you're a Christian, keep a stiff upper lip. Or, hey, uh, pain is just an illusion. Or, you know, if you know Jesus, you'll be happy clappy all the time. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. The, the Bible says we groan. As believers here in this life now, in this present time of suffering, in this broken world, we groan. But that's not all. The first word's groaning. The second word is hoping. Our groans, like creation's groans, are mingled with hope. Did you notice that Paul says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. There, there, this isn't just a groan of lament. That's part of it. But there's this, this eagerness, this longing, that, that's hope 
language, anticipation, expectation. Why is there, there hope mingled with our groaning in this broken world? Well, Paul says because the Holy Spirit is in our lives. God's Holy Spirit is in our lives, and we groan and we wait eagerly as people who have the first fruits of the Spirit, or or better way uh, to render it is we have the first fruits, namely the Holy Spirit. You see, being a Christian means God's Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, and Paul's been talking about this in chapter 8. The Spirit, he says, is the first fruits. Now, most of us aren't farmers, so we don't know a whole lot about first fruits. What are first fruits? First fruits are the, the, the first batch of the full harvest, you know, the, the early harvest. That, and it's a sign that the first fruits are a foretaste of the full harvest, the full meal, a sign that there's more coming. And, and Paul's saying here, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian man or woman, that Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the fullness of your salvation. Yes, right now in Christ you are forgiven. You are justified. You are already a new person in Christ. You're being renewed in Christ. But we haven't yet been glorified. We haven't yet, our bodies haven't been redeemed, Paul says. In other words, they haven't been resurrected yet. But that's our hope. This this adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Again, we're already God's children, but we don't experience the fullness of life as God's children in resurrected glorified bodies in a restored earth. But the Spirit's presence now, the Spirit who dwells in us now, is a foretaste of that coming glory. He's a a guarantee, a pledge of, of that future. And so we long for it. We long for that full meal. We've we've tasted the Lord's goodness and we want the full meal. That's why our groans are mingled with hope. And Paul says in verse 24, we were saved in this hope. The the gospel promises are not just forgiveness and justification now. The gospel promises include resurrection, renewal, and wholeness. And so we groan because we're not there yet. We we haven't entered into the fullness of our sonship as, as God's children. And so we groan and we hope because God has promised us glory. So we groan, we hope, and then the third word, waiting. Not, not my favorite word, probably not your favorite word either. Waiting. Paul says in verse 23, we wait eagerly. Verse 25, we wait with patience, or in other words, endurance. Hoping leads to waiting. The, the two are connected. And, and Paul unpacks this a little bit. You know, hope by definition, by definition, hope is something you cannot see with your eyes. He says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I mean, it, it's common sense. Um, if you've got the diamond ring on your finger, you don't need to keep hoping for it, right? It's, it's there, you can see it, you can touch it, you've got it. Uh, hope is, is an expectation of something you do not yet possess, you cannot see. And our hope as Christian men and women is fixed on God's promised future. The, everything we've been talking about here today, this glorious future Paul's been laying out, but we can't see it yet. Not with our eyes. Um, It's still future. It's still promise. It's not something we can touch with our hands, see with our eyes. And so we wait. We groan, we hope, and we wait for this glorious future to become 
reality. It's a certain future. Um, God has promised it, but it's not here yet. And so we wait, Paul says. And and waiting is not easy. Um, I don't like waiting. Um, My driver's license is set to expire in January, and so I need to renew it. And I also need to get a real ID. And in order to do that, I have to go into the DMV to renew my license and, and get this real ID. And for about the last 15 years or so, I've successfully avoided stepping foot in the DMV. And I don't want to go to the DMV. You know why? Because the lines are always so long, and I don't want to stand in the line and wait. And yes, I know you can make an appointment. I needed a sermon illustration. (laughs) Waiting's hard. Waiting feels um, pointless, like you're doing nothing. And, and, And that's kind of the point, actually. Um, you and I can't speed up God's future. We can't make it come any faster. It's in God's timing. But, but waiting on the Lord is not the same as doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord is, is the idea of, of active trust. Groaning, hoping, waiting in trust on God's timing and God's future. And so friends, your future glory in Christ, this, this glorious reality that we only get a little glimpse of here in this passage, uh, this glorious reality far outweighs your present suffering. Whatever losses we experience now will be more than made up for on that day. That, that's the perspective, Paul says, we, we need to have as, as Christian men and women on our suffering. And, and I want to ask you, do you believe it? Do you, do you know it? Do, do you live in that reality? It's hard to do, right? It's hard to do. This present suffering is so big and, and just so painful that, that it's hard to remember. One day it's just going to be like, I don't, that was, I don't even remember that so much. The, the glory is just so all-encompassing. Well, how can that perspective help you endure suffering now. Uh, And and let me put it this way, it grounds you. That perspective that Paul lays out here, it it grounds you. And and what do I mean? Well, if your hope for the future, if if it's based on something that, that you can see and control and manipulate with your own plans and purposes, if that's what your hope for the future is, is based on your inner life, is going to be a really nasty roller coaster ride. You know, there's, there's going to be ups and nasty ups and downs and then whiplash and nausea and it, it's going to be a mess. If, if your ultimate future is, is based on, for example, your professional skill set, or, or your investing wisdom, or, or I'm just, I'm trying to be a good person and good things happen to good people, or, or maybe I'm just an optimist, you know, and, and everything's just gonna simply work out. If, if that's what your hope is, is rooted in, um, suffering will crush you. It'll break you into a million pieces. The things you can see and touch, Paul says they're transient. You remember that from the reading earlier, 2 Corinthians? They're transient. They're temporary. They don't last. Um, they, they fail you in the end. They wear down and die. Um, they cannot bear the weight of your ultimate hope. They weren't designed 
to do that. You know, cancer can take your spouse. Um, the stock market can wipe out your life savings. Um, age steals your beauty. And if your hope is wrapped up in any of those kinds of things, um, one moment life's going to feel like it's going really well, and then the next day um, everything you've put your hope in is gone. It is gone forever. You can't get it back. And, and that leads to one of two things. Either you are going to be a person who is freaked out all the time because the ground underneath your feet is always shifting, always moving. There is no nothing solid to stand on. You're just going to be anxious and freaked out all the time. Or you're going to become cynical. Do you remember um, the film The Princess Bride? Not a serious movie, but but um, there's a character, one of the main characters in the movie, Wesley. Do you remember him? And uh, he suffers. He suffers quite a lot. And, and a big part of his suffering is what he thinks is losing the woman he loved. He thought she would remain um, in love with him forever. And, and at one point it looks like she's betraying him. And, and he's he suffered and he's bitter. And, and he's bitter about his losses. And in one scene in the movie, he says to the princess, um, life is pain, highness, and, and anyone who says differently is selling something. And it's a funny line in the movie, but, but that is all you're left with if your hope is rooted in, in something less than anything less than the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. If your hope is, is based on, if you've built your life on, on the, the, sh- the shifting sand of, of this world, the transient things, all you're left with is bitterness and loss and disappointment and, and cynicism. Only the promises of God in Jesus last. Only the promises of God in Jesus Christ will never fail. Only the hope of the coming glory in Jesus Christ that all creation is longing for you to experience, only that hope can sustain you while you suffer right now, today. Put your trust in Him. Build your life on him, build your hope on God in Jesus Christ and the promises He's made, this promised future that is yours in Christ. Your, your future glory in Christ and with Christ far outweighs your present suffering. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, um, we know that you've promised us amazing things, and uh, it's so difficult for us to to live inside those realities, to live inside that that big story of your plan and purpose for us and for this world. And yet, we pray that you would help us just to catch a little glimpse of that glory, a little taste of it, that'll keep us going. Pray that you would expand our our vision, deepen our faith and hope so that we might suffer well, so that we might endure suffering in hope, so that we might live as people who know there's, there's more to this life than, than what we can obtain in this life. That there's a coming glory in Christ that will make up and do so much more for all the, the pain and the suffering we experience now. We ask these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.